welcome everybody to this this uh, digital masterclass that we're running, focusing on on how digital can replicate your your B two B trade shows. I think from from my perspective, I'd really like to do some introductions, and then I'll provide a bit more of a description about about the topic. Um, so my name's um, David Norris. I'll be hosting the webinar today. I'm the uh, performance marketing director here at MediaWorks. Andy, would you like to to come in next? Sorry, guys. Yeah, morning, everybody. Um, I was just on mute there. Um, yeah, so I'm Andy. I'm the creative director here at MediaWorks. Um, nice to meet everybody this morning. And Ben? Yeah, my name is Ben Homer, and I'm the head of paid search at MediaWorks. And then James, you, you appear to be not so red now, James, <laughs> which is a really positive thing. Yeah, now, so. I'm, I'm back in the world. Uh, I, I'm James. I'm one of the uh, paid social specialists here at MediaWorks. Uh, yeah, so I think I think the starting point for, for today then when we were looking at what this topic was going to be was we, we've seen sort of recent, um, if you like, challenges around understanding social distancing and, and everything that's going on in the world right now um, have led to a number of trade shows being cancelled. I think a new uh, assessment from the Global Association for the Exhibition Industry says that at least £23 billion worth of contracts and not being concluded with shows not taking place as planned. So, you know, there's a massive economic impact across not just the immediate people who are trying to do business and um, through activities, but also the wider industry um, with the events industry in total looking at losses of around £12.7 billion. Um, sort of the, the headlines are from the first global numbers that reflect the impact that trade show performance and cancellations are having uh, for both the exhibiting companies as well as for the trade show industry around the world. I think for us, the focus is going to be today very much on, on as an industry, if you were exhibiting rather than being an ex exhibiting space or, or a live venue as such. So I think we're going to talk about sort of in 2020, in the year of mass, arguably forced adaptation and improvisation, um, what what can digital do? What techniques and methods are out there that can deliver the gap in your business performance vacated by a lack of exhibition and conference revenue? So I think the place to start is to say that, that if you've got any questions or queries as we go through, then please do ask. We'll try and pick, pick those up as we go. And then the first stage was going to be, from my perspective, just to ask the, the panellists, what do you feel are the key aspects of a successful uh, business exhibition from a business perspective? So, Ben, I'll come to you first. Um, thanks, David. I think there's there's quite a few, to be perfectly honest. Um, I, I think uh, probably one of the, the more key ones for me are, are maintaining those relationships with your, your existing clients especially those higher profile ones um you know kind of trade events in the past of a swarming with potential clients um not only for yourself but all of your competitors there as well so you know if you've got clients who are coming to this um at these kind of events then you know you're, you're gonna have 10 or 15 other competitors who are just trying to steal that business away from you so making sure that your existing high value clients feel exactly as you would want them to be treated, you know, treat them as high value clients, look after them uh, and make sure that not only that they're a priority for you, but you're a priority for them when it comes to, you know, making these decisions. I think especially when it comes down to things such as, you know, um, in the area that we're in now is a lot of people want to want to get things as, not necessarily as cheap as possible, but as efficiently as possible as, as that's how generally we all make more money. Um, so, you know, if someone is, you know, potentially undercutting you or anything like that, then then your value has to be represented 
And I feel that these these kind of events are are one of those opportunities to really show your value as a business to your clients. Yeah, I think it's a I think it's a really good point, Ben. For me, it's it's you know, and it's something hopefully we'll talk a bit more on. But how we replicate those interactions, how we making sure that the business that we've got secure. Um, you know, having run and been involved in trade shows in the past, I think that was always one of the real drivers from from my perspective was around maintaining those relationships and really sort of protecting the, the audiences that you've got. Um, Andy, would you like to to suggest what would be the one for you? Um, I, I, can I take two? I think um, we want. I think you know it's. It, now it's about how you showcase your product in the most kind of creative way. I think, you know, how do you give people an understanding of what it is your product, what makes your product special, what makes it different and, and kind of better than your competitors. So I think the execution of how you do that is absolutely essential. Um, but then I think the other thing is, is understanding what your ideal conversion is. You know, what, what, what does success look like? What is that engagement that you need? Um, and understanding that no matter what you do, um, you're there to try and generate some form of behavior, whether it's a retention, as Ben's just said, or whether it's a new customer acquisition. So I think just kind of being aware of that from the off, you know, what, what are you trying to achieve? Yeah, I think I think the thing for me there is, and it's really important, isn't it, is, is around understanding the different segments as well that you engage with through a trade show. You know, are you looking at sort of those one-off customers because that's the type of industry that you're in? Um, it's quite transactional. Or is it sort of a contractual basis or a rolling contract, etc.? So I think it's a really good point that you make in terms of understanding what that track, uh, sort of that 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 transaction or that that conversion piece is really around. I also really like the, the point that you made about about you know showcasing. You know, um, you know, my wife's in the the truck the truck and van industry, and I know we we talked about this earlier. Andy was around. You know, it's really quite difficult to showcase a truck without actually seeing a truck, um, or it has been historically. Um, so, you know, uh, that, again, poses its own questions. And, again, I'm sure we'll, we'll touch on that point as we go through. Um, James, um, from your perspective, um, key aspect of a successful business exhibition? Mm, I think it's, it's, it's really about getting the, getting the right sort of connections, the right sort of people um, coming to that uh, exposition. Like, with... With, with sort of the advent of everything sort of having to be online, we're, we're in situations where it's all about really like nailing that targeting, nailing who we're, who we're reaching, making sure that it's, it's relevant to the people uh, that, we're, that we're trying to, uh, that we've invited to this, making sure that it's the most relevant because they're the ones that are going to benefit from the content and also they're the ones that are going to really engage with this, uh, with this moving forwards. So it's all about trying to find ways to make sure that 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 the people that we're that are at this at the exhibition or who we connected with are, are the ones that really like that, that really matter to the to the business depending on whatever you're promoting if it's product or, or the business as a whole it's just getting that audience right yeah and I think I want to do a bit of a deeper dive into that then James around. So, so following on from that point about sort of making the right type of connections um, at a business level or even at a product level, so what would what would your approach be um, across the, the paid channels that we've got, whether that be social, whether that be search? Well, the nice the nice thing about um, paid marketing is it allows you to to sort of expand your organic social reach. So, 
Um, with with organic traffic sort of uh, your organic reach dropping over the last sort of like three to four years, it's become really really important to sort of promote your events and your brands um, with the targeting methods that social channels provide. And we've got a lot of good examples of of, of ways you can use different channels to do different things. Um, and I think that, that the key thing is to sort of keep to the channel strength. So if it's if we're in a very B2B um, industry or, or B2B focus, make use of LinkedIn's targeting. LinkedIn lets you go down to, to job title, to industry, to, to people, even to people's specific skills that they're listing on the, the um, LinkedIn profiles. That allows you to be really, really targeted and make sure that you're nailing your, your audience and, and, and it's really relevant to them. Whereas um, a wider channel such as Facebook um, will give you much more reach for for for. So- to, to to sort of get that frequency up and, and hit people more more broadly, but also has a lot of because it's got a much bigger data set. It's got a lot of uh, it's got an offering of a broader sort of capacity to to use creative audiences. And we've had, we've had a number of successful recruitment campaigns, um, primarily through Facebook. And it's all about hitting that right audience, making sure that we're layering, making sure that we're testing um, different demographics together to, to try and to try and really nail down. Um, which sort of leads us on to 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 make use of your existing customer data with lookalikes. Facebook is the primary chat or like one of the best channels for using lookalikes. But we've got all of this business data. You know who your existing clients are. You know who your existing um, customers that you work with are. You know the sort of people who would come to these um, trade exhibitions in if we were in a situation where you could continue running them in the standard fashion. So you've got all of that information. Um, uploading those customer lists or, or, or company lists to LinkedIn or, or to Facebook allows us not only just to target those individuals, but also create lookalike profiles off the back of that making use of, of, of Facebook or, or whichever social channel you, you choose as um, capacity to really sort of nail down and, and find similar users who are, who are, who are sort of best fit for, for whatever it is that you're targeting. And I suppose the final, the final thing that we, we then want to do is just make sure that we're using the, the most engaging forms of content um, possible to try and generate that engagement and get that interest it's very easy on a when you're scrolling through a, a content feed or like like through your Facebook feed or through your LinkedIn feed to, to sort of skip out on things that don't that don't grab your attention, and and really the the, the key format that we'd always sort of push for is, is video. It, it it grabs that instant attention and it will highlight what you're trying to show. It gives you it it'll draw people in and you can use that in con, in combination with your your sophisticated sort of layers of, of targeting and testing that targeting. Um, to, to really boost that engagement and, and showcase what, what you're about and, and, and to, who you're, to who you're trying to target. Yeah, Andy, have you got anything to say? Because I know, obviously, from a creative perspective, we, we've discussed the role of video, but other creative types of, of, of content at this stage, you know, in different, different formats. Yeah, I think there's, there's kind of the... There's, there's kind of more exciting things you can do around AR and, and kind of trying to create, you know, if you're using 3D models as part of the design process, then utilizing that asset, you know, further in campaigns when you're trying to 
you know, go and target customers to drive engagement, but also then trying to fill that gap of not having the trade show. We need to create a digital trade show. We need to kind kind of put that product into some digital experience. So I think there are things um, that we can kind of start to explore. But I think what's really at this stage, I think what's really important is that idea of and the power that that targeting can then do. Because before we start thinking then too much around that creative asset, it's like we're no longer kind of mass marketing. If you imagine, you know, you're going to a trade show and you've got to try and create that perfect experience that's going to talk to every potential influencer or decision maker in that room at that time. And a lot of that, you, if you're having that personal conversation when you start the engagement, you've got to try and put that information out and then you change your conversation around that. Whereas the things that James are talking about there, it's then about, okay, so we can segment our audience so I can talk to uh, the procurement guy very different than I can to an end user or an installer or, you know, and then it's about understanding what are the pain points because that's your message that you have to lead with because as James said, the feed is very competitive you know, and if you are creating a video, you, you've got to get someone to press play on that video. So the first three seconds is addressing that pain point for that type of audience to then at least get them hooked in. So I think at this stage, it's about understanding why you're, what's the value proposition for each different kind of segment. Yeah. That'll then at least get the engagement you need to then think about the experience. Yeah, and I think for me, that's a really, it's a really interesting point in the sense that that's really, really different to the type of, potential targeting that you did prior to, to the world that we're now living in, where it would have been about generics, would have been the message around come and see us at this conference, we're exhibiting at the conference, and then you can do your targeting and segmentation piece normally when you're at the event itself, when you're having that conversation. I think it's now sort of a preemptive element to that. So it's about saying, right, probably a generic message isn't going to be enough of a call to action. So then what does that really targeted, segmented approach look like? Um, so I think, again, that's something that's really interesting. Um, I do have one question that's just came in, James, I'd like like you to pick up on noise um, from, from Alan, which is, can we upload target lists to Facebook in the same way as we can in LinkedIn? Are there any restrictions? Um, yeah, Facebook allows you to upload uh, customer data pretty much in the same sort of way as, as LinkedIn. Uh, the only difference is you can't upload company lists uh, onto, onto Facebook. Um, obviously, there are there are uh, regulations around uh, data ownership and, and GDPR that you have to pay attention to. But if you're already using it on LinkedIn, there's no reason that you can't upload that to Facebook uh, in the exact same way. Yeah, and I think that's a that's a really important point, isn't it? In the sense that you know it's about how do you make the most of that that data and what can you do with that data. So obviously, we've got somebody there that's already using it on on LinkedIn. Um, which is great, but from from you know Facebook's perspective, it probably is slightly a different audience or a different platform, different channel channel of engagement. So I think it's about how you use both those platforms in terms of the information that you can actually draw out to create um, a really targeted approach. And using your own data as the starting point for that is a great place to start. Where we see lookalike conversions typically a lot higher than prospecting type uh, of activity that we would do. Another question I just wanted to pick up with you, James, was around sequencing. So, you know, we'll often talk, going at the point that Andy made around, um, you know, messaging and the different segments and how we target people at different stages. You know, we'll often advocate the idea of, of, of sequencing. You know, so, for example, leading up to Black Friday, somebody seeing one message at a certain point followed by another message at a certain point. 
followed by another message at a certain point. So essentially taking people through that, that conversion funnel, if you like, or, or definitely a sequence of contacts. What, what can we do, um, you know, or what, what should we be doing um, in terms of the, the audiences and the groups out there from a sequencing perspective? I mean, sequencing is, is, the, is the perfect example of actually uh, a multi-channel funnel because we're hitting a user and we're actually taking that user down down the, the down the, the individual steps with different creatives with a new message leading towards that point of engagement or that point of conversion. Um, and there's a variety of different ways and options that we can use to do that. But it's 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 a very important thing to do. Like there's the there's there's simpler with videos, it's much simpler to do because we can do engagement-based audiences um, uh, for people who viewed certain percentages of a video. And then we have the first video as a sort of intro to what who we are and what we are. And once people who have, uh, and then we can retarget the people who watch that video with a second video explaining um, what the specific event or exhibition is going to be and why it might be useful to them. And if we if we really want to, we can nail that, we can, we can um, uh, segment that down really into individual groups. So if there's a specific product that we've got for a specific audience, we can start to tailor it that way and lead people through that customer journey with different content, engaging at different cost point, uh, touch points, much in the way that you'd you'd sort of bring a business lead through a um, variety of different uh, different follow-ups and contacts and meetings um, in in the sort of regular world. We can do that a lot of that with with our creative with creative planning, um, segmented audiences and and um, sequenced ad formatted ad formats ads uh, and, and and content to really drive someone down to that point of conversion where they feel that they know you they feel like they've had all the information that they've got that they need and and they're, they're really ready to, to sort of engage with you as a business no i think there's some really good really good points there i then want to jump on to um, sort of andy's area if you like in terms of you know, one of the things we'll talk about is in sequencing is making sure that that creative content is right at each stage. So, it, you know, that the audience doesn't get bored for want of a better expression. Um, and I think that from from my perspective, I think people would be interested as to, to know what are the different approaches that you can take really, Andy, in terms of showcasing your products or servicing or offering and, and really driving that, that continued engagement. I think um, it's going to be different for different kind of services and sectors. I think, you know, the we've spoke about the importance of uh, video. Video is a, a great tool, but I think, you know, that's, video is really going to fill in that personal element, essentially, that you're missing. If you know, you, you, the personal aspect of a trade show is fantastic. Um, it gets you, you know, looking into the eyeballs of prospects and build relationships. So that's going to be missing if you're trying to fill the gap with digital. So I think video content, you know, representatives talking about a product if it's the manufacturing team or the design team showcasing that is a great way to start i think um case studies you know investing in bringing your case studies to life is is, is huge and, and that's as much as having somebody tell a story or going out to customers themselves and getting customers to almost provide that testimonial uh, in video format is worth its weight in gold. I think every brand's going to create a case study and say we're fantastic and and we did a fantastic job. But hearing it from real customers makes a big difference. So I think just addressing your case studies and trying to make those engaging is, is a good way to start. Um, I think you can then go to, as I said before, some of the more kind of creative executions where you've got things like you know Facebook. You can actually render. 
like AR objects in the adverts there, which are, which is, is kind of pretty powerful and allow people to really explore your product from the comfort of their own home. Um, and I think even that idea of storytelling using 3D renders of your product, it, that's where it really gets exciting as to what's next. Once you've drove that engagement in platform, LinkedIn, Facebook, where are you sending them? And what do you expect? So that's when you can start creating, you know, gated areas of a website potentially, where you can start exploring products, walking around a 3D render, and start to to kind of explain the value of, of your product in in a way that's a lot more engaging than just flat images, essentially. Um, and I think the good thing about creating kind of microsites, as much as, you know, from a search perspective, we always say pool all of your authority in your domain in one space. I think if you're creating something that has a very particular purpose, which is, you know, showcase a product and drive a conversion, then you can start really looking at how do you optimize it and, and kind of minimize any friction around you know, customers going to different parts of the website. At that point, you need to just capture the lead. You need to get get an email address. You need to give them some form of download or, or, or get a, something you can put into a nurture program. Or might even be as direct as a live chat. If you can get that person to start engaging with your sales team or your sales rep in, in a, on a kind of online experience, I think that's a fantastic way to, to start driving some value from, from the campaign. You know, if you've invested in creating these 3D renders, and getting getting that across as key. I think I think for me it's it's the points that you've made there are really can suit different budgets. Yeah, you know, and I think that's that's a really important aspect um, when you're talking about trade shows because there'll be people who are listening and watching this podcast who you know say right I I only spend five thousand pound on a trade show versus other people will be sat going no we spend you know half a million pounds a year on trade shows up and down the country and I think for me it's there's different opportunities for different budgets out there. You know, developing a, a, a live case study and getting your audience speaking about speaking about um, your content on video or your product on video is actually relatively cheap and, and quick and, you know, as you say, highly impactful. The point I'd make there as well is, is think about who you're going to get in your videos because actually I think one of the things that I've seen really uh, well utilised in the past is, is where somebody's really well known um, across an industry and really getting them to speak about your product. So, you know, it follows on from that lookalike element that, that James and I were talking about earlier. But if people can say, oh, um, you know, John over there, I know him who's at that business and he's talking about that product and straight away it's, it's you know, you feel more confident about buying that product or wanting to know more about it because you're seeing somebody who you recognise engaging with that content I think the idea of using microsites is really fascinating, Andy. And have you got any any examples or any any tips and tricks around how you would use microsites and why you might use a microsite to drive that traffic? What would the benefit be? What would the benefit be, Andy? Sorry. We seem to have lost Andy for a second there. <laughs> um, but for, from from my perspective, um, you know, I, I, it's a really interesting one in terms of the use of microsites. The way that I see them being used is is whereby you're sending people to a specific URL, um, a specific URL that actually breaks down some of the barriers, the, the calls to actions that you would expect to see in a in a main major website. 
um, so that you're really taking people through that segmented basis. So thinking about, you know, if somebody's interested in a particular product or service, or you're trying to direct a particular type of audience to that to that market. From my perspective, it's how do you use microsites to segment and hive off the relevant content? Because I think that one of the things that we don't want to do is put up sort of barriers to engagement. So having people click through the main site and try and find what they want is actually probably, you know, a barrier for a lot of people. If you are operating in an industry where it's potentially highly technical, you're in a manufacturing industry, you want to show people what yours does differently. Well, the last thing that you want is people having to search around the platform to actually um, find that content. So the use of microsites is something I would absolutely be advocating in terms of directing people towards. I think the idea of sort of augmented reality and virtual reality is also really pertinent. We see this in quite a big way for consumer markets, actually, um, where you can actually see what a product would look like within your own environment. You've probably all seen it out there where the likes of, you know, some of the big sofa companies, et cetera, are now allowing you to see what a sofa would look like in your actual room through your phone. I would be encouraging people to use that type of platform and that type of um, technology to, again, be thinking about what that means and how it might operate. I don't know if you've got anything you'd like to add, Andy, now you're back. We seem to be having problems still with Andy's, Andy's sound, so we'll, we'll, we'll just move on from that point. I guess from my perspective then, Ben, you mentioned at the beginning, so now we've, if you like, we've got, got people to come to our event, we've got people who are interested, we've now showcased our product, our, our service, or our offering, sort of, you know, that relationship piece is now really, really important. So sort of what do you think in terms of, you know, the most important ways that you can use digital to support sort of using, the, the, the you know, using um, technology, sorry, to support that relationship development? Yeah, I think, t to be honest, regardless of, of what niche you're in or, or what business you're in, no relationship can really develop without value. Um, you know, if you if you flatline and, and you plateau and you don't really develop that relationship or, or offer any brand new value to a client, they're not going to be a client for very long. Um, they want to see you grow. And, you know, we we ourselves have this motto is, you know, if, if you aren't growing, you're going. And we want businesses to, to grow and develop with us. Because if, you know, if, if you help a business develop, then they're going to help you develop. So I think that that value piece is probably one of the most important elements. And it's, it's how we can integrate that offline and online experience and make that one experience rather than two separate ones altogether. So an exhibition, for example, is mainly offline. You speak to people face to face. You may have roller banners and that kind of thing showing them you know, a brand new product. But how you take that experience online is, is going to be key because there's the potential that as soon as a, a potential client or an actual client has left that exhibition, they may have forgotten about you if you weren't flashy enough or if you weren't you know, as good as some of your other competitors. So that online piece is really important. And that is, as, as James kind of touched on before, it's all done based on data. So if you have client data and you, know, you can use this in these various platforms, it's all about creating that value uh, and hitting those off, uh, hitting those customers online as well. So that could be things such as webinars, you know, live Q and A's, video content, as Andy touched upon before. Um, you know, without kind of trying to make it like you're stalking them, you want to have that soft message of "We're here. We spoke to you previously. Here's some other offerings that you may not have seen," and and that's where clients and potential clients really start to see value in your offering. 
I think for me, Ben, the thing I'd be saying there as well is I think you make some really good points is around without without stalking people. But I think people are accepting now of the fact that the world has changed slightly and that technology has become much more integral part of business comms. You know, so it's not a necessarily a case of having to go and visit a client every opportunity. I think it's about how do we use technology to really drive that. And the examples I would give just generally, think about the way that you communicate with your family. I mean, I've got, you know, family that don't live that far away from me, but for various reasons I've been unable to see. So we're using things like technology in a way that they've probably never used technology. So, you know, they're comfortable in terms of Zoom calls and, you know, I wouldn't quite say the webinars, um, but it's the same type of format, you know, in terms of video engagement and speaking through technology. So, again, I'd be saying that, that think about how that might integrate with the audiences that you're actually trying to engage with. Because for me, it's always been a thing of, oh, well, you know, the younger audiences use technology more. And I think for us, we're not now seeing that sort of delineation so much in the sense that, yes, a younger person might sit on their mobile phone a bit more in terms of, you know, their screen time, et cetera. But in terms of actually use of the web or use of different platforms, people from all generations are now using that. And again, be thinking about what opportunities that opens up for you as a business. Um, if you're engaging with different audiences, if you're engaging with you know different different users who've potentially never used different types of platform before, and may have in the past been people who you would have put in the category who would never use this type of technology, they might now. And I think that's a, that's an important element for me is to really reevaluate your, your your preconceptions or your, your 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 previous ideas and thoughts. Yeah, absolutely. I, I completely agree with that that sentiment. And I think there's you know it's there's not just one channel where you can kind of target these users from. There's there's so many different opportunities, and <coughs> you can essentially cater to those individual you know personas. So. If there is someone, let's say, from a what we would class as an older generation who isn't maybe tech savvy and only checks their emails and that kind of thing, isn't isn't on social media, there's email marketing, there's Gmail ads, there's all these different variations of, of ads that you can put out there that can hit those users at the right time. If it is, you know, potentially a younger demographic, um, you know, then they're more likely to be involved in social, they're more likely to be on LinkedIn, they're more likely to be using things like YouTube. There's so many other channels that you can hit them in. So yeah, I, I completely agree that that there's a bit of a misconception there that you know the, the older demographic you, you can't target them through digital because that space is, is just becoming bigger and bigger and bigger, and it's becoming it's filling up a lot quicker than it was you know previously. Yeah, and I think for me, as I say, I would go back to things like you know video conferencing is absolutely massive now. You know, um, for me, people buy from people still. You know, and I think that's something that can be missed with all the technology developments that are out there is, you know, if you're exhibiting an event, the reason you're probably doing it is because you want FaceTime with that person. Um, yes, it might not be able to, to be on mass. It might be, you know, you might hold a webinar, talk people through the technical background of your product and why it's good and have a question and answer. Um, you know, we found that webinars have been a great way to engage with our audience. Um and you know, new and existing customers over time answering questions as we go. We found that really works for us, but we're also still doing a lot of one-to-one -one appointments. Um, so you know, giving people the opportunity to book time slots to speak with our team or get a consultation, or or you know, I, I would just say be careful about you know relying too heavily on driving somebody towards a, a video. For me, they, they've got an important part to play, but also just remember that people buy buy from people. Um, I think it's about 
David, I think it's, I've dropped off there. Sorry, guys. Internet connection is now back. I think the, the other thing which you've kind of led into a little bit there is, is that investment. We, we, we appreciate that some of these things just take a lot of investment and time, but but it's, I think it's the other thing is, is not to forget the value that they have on the other side. Once you've used that asset, they have some long-term value. You know, if we're talking about making kind of 3D renders, you know, that and, and, and kind of microsites, that can be a tool that your sales team then use on the road to kind of commute instead of going in with a printed brochure and take the digital experience and allow somebody to kind of engage with it. And again, similar as you'd said with webinars, video record it, make it a podcast, put it out on Spotify, you know, just put it out on YouTube and then repurpose that content. So I think there's, there's a lot of life after it that, that has a bit of value in it as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I think for me, like one of the really good tips would be around and make that really easy for people to consume in a way that really suits them. So, you know, if you think, for example, you've got a customer that might be interested in a particular element, really signpost them to it or cut the video at that certain point. Say, you know, this is something we've been talking about. You might be really interested in in the bit that's from 21 minutes to 26 minutes so that people don't feel pressured into having to listen to the whole thing for that little nugget you might want to give them. Because Again, to draw the trade show analogy, you wouldn't show everybody through the brochure if they were interested in a specific thing. You would focus on really answering that specific thing or or really understanding the pain point that the customer wants to go through. And from my perspective, it's about how you make that really tailored experience um, and, and be thinking about those elements. So I guess I guess then that leads us on to sort of a, a wrap-up. Um, thank you very much for some of the, question, uh, the questions that have came in. Um, but from my perspective, I've, I've made some notes that I've gone. I think the, the big first one for me would be segment your audience pre-engagement. You know, be thinking about the use of lookalike audiences to help with this. So, you know, don't just think of it as we're going to hit everybody with the same message, i.e. come to our conference or engage with our product because the audience will want different things. So what I'd be saying is segment in, in advance of that. The second point would be around sequencing. Again, be thinking about not just... You know, typically it would have been pre-event marketing, event-based marketing, post-event marketing. Be thinking how you can actually break that down into a more sequential uh, sort of method because you're not necessarily going to get the same volume of face time or the same opportunity. So, you know, what I'd be saying is be thinking about, you know, it's not just a one-off hit. It's about how you lead the customer through that journey. Point three would be around use your creative to wow and stand out. You know, I've been to some brilliant trade shows where people are doing some amazing things. And, and for me, I can think of probably four or five examples now that really stick with me. It's exactly the same in terms of digital. You know, think about how you're going to create that real wow moment where people think, you know, that's really stood out for me and I really want to know more about that. We are spending more time online, so we are seeing more content online. So the challenge of standing out is actually harder in some ways. So be thinking about what it is your piece of content. And remember that doesn't have to be expensive and it, you know, it has to be really relevant to your audience is the, 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 main, the main point. Then four would be um, have clear call to actions through creative. So whether you're using microsites, whether you're using you know, video, whether you're using case studies or augmented reality or whatever you're using, just make sure that you've got those clear call to actions. You know, we've talked about it there. Is the call to action sending somebody to the micro site? And the call to action is actually book a one-to-one -one, uh, with, with, for example, a sales rep or book a one-to-one -one with a technical specialist. Is that the call to action? Or is the call to action to come to another webinar? Or is the call to action to actually pay somebody a socially distanced visit? 
Um, so from my perspective, you've got to be thinking about what that call to action is and removing the barriers to seeing that call to action. I think, as I said earlier, driving somebody to your generic website might be okay normally, but should you actually have bespoke landing pages or bespoke microsites or bespoke content that really meets their needs? And then my final point really is, remember, people still buy from people. I know it was the sort of you know finishing point, but it's really true. So don't just go too tech heavy. You might not expect a digital marketing agency to say you know that, that we should be focusing on on people, but I think it has to be. Um, people are engaging with customers, and I think that sometimes we can use technology as a bit of a barrier and as a bit of a, a, a fence that we put up or a guard that we put up. Actually, use technology in this instance to really bring your audience closer to you because it's having to replace that already sort of personalised um, interaction. So be thinking about how you can use technology to do that. If you've been interested in, in what we've talked about today, one of the things that we'd like to do if you want to follow up with us um, is for any attendees on this digital masterclass who so are interested in targeting potential buyers through social, um, we'd be happy to discuss a proposed uh, social media targeting plan for your target audience and also suggesting some of the creative propositions around that for your products and services. So how you can really stand out and what that can mean and and different approaches that you might be looking to utilize. And again, don't be just thinking about the next you know, month, two months, be thinking longer term. I think none of us know what's going to happen um, going forward in terms of some of these social distancing measures that we're all experiencing. Um, so from my perspective, if you're even thinking about it, you know, we'd be really you know, like to hear from you if we can help in any way. Um, as I say, we'll be in touch after this week and, and please do let us know if you'd like to discuss this further. The next uh, digital drop-in session is next Tuesday. And again, just thanks for everybody for, for your participation and engaging with this session. Sorry for some of the technical issues that we experienced, um, but you know, I'm, I'm sure it, it's been a, a good listen and, and hopefully you've taken some key points away. So from me, it's bye. Andy, would you like to say bye? Yeah, thanks everybody. Thank you for your time. We'll speak to you soon. Yeah. Cheers, everyone. <laughs>